Open your Bibles to Micah chapter 7. I think it's safe to say that we're living in uncertain times. You know, there are things that we just expected back in January, and it's not as if the plans have like taken a detour. It's like the car drove off the cliff and now it's a submarine. It's a weird time to be living in, and it feels like things are changing on the daily. And I don't know about you, but it really makes me long for something steadfast, something I can hold onto. And that, of course, is God, is that hope that I have in heaven. And when I'm feeling that longing and I'm feeling the turbulence of life, this passage in Micah gives me a lot of comfort. This is a passage that speaks about God leading his people out of darkness and to victory and in good places. It points to heaven in a lot of ways, but in other ways it points to the peace and the security that comes with knowing God and his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness. And it means he's never going to leave us in our dark moments. It warns us and gives us courage that evil will not win. And it gives us hope that we are going to go home to be with God one day. And this message is a welcome respite in the midst of a troublesome life. But before we talk about the respite, we really need to understand what's going on in Micah. So in the beginning of Micah, he's prophesying to the northern kingdom. He's saying Assyria is going to come. But by this point in the book, about 20 years have passed, Assyria has taken the northern kingdom, and now Assyria has got its sights set on Judah. And Micah's been warning that they are going to experience some terrible times because of the evil that is among the people of, uh, of Jerusalem and in Judah. And so the Assyrians come, they attack Judah, and Judah makes it out, but only barely. And I say only barely because Assyria takes like 46 cities, 200,000 people. Uh, and they come to the gates of Jerusalem. And just by the grace of God, God sends an angel to kill off a big chunk of the Assyrian army. And so they leave. But Judah is in shambles. And to get a sense of this, this is not a large area. It is as if the Assyrian army started up in Conway and marched down to Hot Springs and then over to Cary's Rice Mill in Stuttgart and then up and they took that Jacksonville, Jacksonville Air Force Base and then they came here, they burned everything in the presence and they took out you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. This is a, a scary time. And like I said, they were warned about this. It's because of the evil of the people that God sent the Assyrians on them. In Micah 7.3, before we're going to start reading this morning, uh, it talks about people who are ambidextrously evil, uh, which is just an interesting picture. But it's a, it's, there's a lot of badness going on in Judah. They brought this destruction on themselves. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of fear and peril, there is still hope. And that's what we're going to tap into today, this hope that was powerful for them, and it's so powerful that the waves are still hitting us today. 
So we're going to be reading in Micah 7, uh, verses 8 through 20. And there are five pictures here that I want to read through and just get a general sense of what's going on. And then we're going to take a step back and we're going to talk about the hope that we can see, the progression of God's steadfast love with his people in this tumultuous time. So the first picture here, I'm going to call it darkness. It's in verses 8 through 10. It says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. When my enemy Then my enemy will see me, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. We see here that Judah is in a dark place, a scary place. And even though they brought this on themselves, God is still there with them, and he's going to lead them out of darkness into the light, and when the enemies see it, they are going to be ashamed. Next, we get this picture in 11 through 13 that I'm going to call the wall. Uh, It says, A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Here we get this walls uh, that are not just rebuilt, but they expand and they take in all nations of the earth, but they also destroy and shatter the enemies of God. The next we have a picture that I'm going to call Bashan, and this is just in verse 14. It says, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Here we see that God is shepherding his people in a good place, in a thick forest where they are safe, where they have plenty of food to eat. Think Psalm 23, you know, flowing waters, green grass. That's the idea. Then we get Another picture here in verses 15 through 17 that we'll call the serpent. Uh, As in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. Like the crawling things of the earth, they shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. That just as the serpent is low to the ground, crawling across, that's the humility, that's the submission you're going to see from your enemies. Because God is going to be so powerful that they can do nothing but bow to the ground. And finally... We get our sins cast in the ocean in this last 
section of 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will show steadfast love, sorry, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Here we see that God is good because his mercies exceed his anger and his loving kindness is clearly seen in the covenant that he keeps with his people. So like I said, five images here in this section. And in this, I see three distinct themes. There's a progression that shows God's steadfast love with his people. And if you trace it, you'll note that there's a place of darkness. They begin in darkness, but from darkness, God brings them out to victory. Victory over their enemies, and from there, God brings them to safety. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Darkness, victory, and safety. And as we view these pictures, as we view this progression that I'm going to call the road to Bashan, we're going to find a lot of hope, a lot of comfort that was intended for Judah, but I believe that it still resonates very deeply with us this morning. So, first, it be, the story begins in darkness. In verses 8 and 9, we read, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Here the speaker, which is kind of Judah personified, basically says, I'm in darkness, and I brought this on myself. All my enemies are laughing at me. They're exulting, they're exulting over me. And for Jerusalem being attacked by the Assyrians, this is it's not a good time. And yet... He goes on to say that even in the darkness, God is present there with him. God is a light, and God will raise them up out of darkness. He knows it. He's confident in that, that even in the depths of trouble and darkness that they got themselves into, God's never going to leave them. He's going to be there to help them out. And for Jerusalem, this was the siege. It was destruction all around. Nearly all the cities in Judah are conquered, looted, destroyed, desolated. It's a very low place for Judah. And as I keep saying, they brought this on themselves. Have you ever been there? You mess up really badly with someone who's really important to you. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your parent, or a really close friend. But you know, they, they trusted you and you let them down. Or they, you, you did something, you were angry, or, or in some way you hurt them. And 
you know that it, it's something that you could have been working on, it's something that you should have been trying to, to better yourself in, and you've had ample warning, but you messed up again. And right in that moment, in this, this, this place where it comes to a head, they, they get up and, and they leave the room. Not forever. They're not walking out of your life. But in that moment, you feel this vacuum where this person who is so important to you has now walked out of the room and it is all your fault and you, you feel this weight. And you know that the right thing for them to do, the just thing, is for them to leave and for you to be left there alone. And that is where Judah is right now, here in the darkness. And yet, even in the darkness, God, who should have left them, is still there. Even in the darkness of their own creation, even in the punishment for their sins, God does not leave the room. It says, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case. God pleads our case against himself. The defense should rest because there is no defense. We are guilty of the sin in the highest way. But God steps in and instead of leaving us in the darkness, he takes us into the light. He says he will bring us, bring me out to the light. I shall look on his vindication. Why does God do that? Why does he lead us out of the darkness? Well, it's because God's love is stronger than his anger. It's because his steadfast, faithful love. You look in verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. See, God was there when we felt the weight of our sin, when we bore the guilt of a splintered relationship with him, but he doesn't leave us there in our feelings of guilt. He takes our sins and he throws them into the sea. Moses, he took the sins of the people and he made them drink it. Do you remember the golden calf? Moses took the golden calf and he ground it up and he made the people drink it. And yet God takes our sin and he also grinds it up but he throws it to the ground and he tramples it underfoot. It's like dust. It's gone because of God's steadfast love, because of his covenant faithfulness, his glorious mercy. That's who God is. And that's what leads Micah to ask in verse 18, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? That's who God is. He's the God that pardons iniquities. And he's always been this way. You can see in verse 20, you will show steadfast love to Jacob, or faithfulness to Jacob, and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. That this has always been the way he's done it. He's always been there with his people. And so our journey on the road to Bashan begins here in darkness, but thank God, 
does not end there. There is hope. God is merciful. And even though we bore the darkness of our own sins, he takes that away. He pleads our case. He rescues us. And he takes us from darkness and leads us to victory. And that's the next step on our journey. In verse 10, uh, after he's brought them out of darkness, he says, Then my enemies will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. See, as soon as God starts to act, it's not just our sin that gets thrown to the ground and trampled underfoot. His enemies, the people who have opposed God and his people, are also going to be trampled to the ground in a decisive victory. So for Jerusalem, the threat of Assyria is terrifying. Imagine hordes of armies surrounding the town, and they don't believe in fair treatment of any kind. They'll strip you naked, gouge out your eyes, put hooks in your nose, enslave you. These people are mean. And if you're in Judah, you know that. You've seen it happen. And you've heard their taunts. You've heard the Rabshakeh saying, King Hezekiah doesn't want you to know this, but you're about to starve because you're trusting in this noodle-armed God that can't save you. And you've heard those taunts and this righteous indignation is stirred up in your spirit and you cry out for, for justice. You cry out with the souls in Revelation 6 of the angel in Zechariah 1 that says, How long? How long will the unjust go running amok with no consequence? But God will trample Assyria like mud in the streets. There is justice. God does win. And not only does justice destroy the wicked, but it also brings honor to God's people and God's land. We see in verses 11 and 12. A day for building your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river and from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. Now, we talked about God bringing them out of darkness, and that's what we see here in the beginning, this rebuilding. But it doesn't stop at rebuilding because the walls start to expand. And suddenly, all the nations are being brought in to the nation of God, as God conquers the world for himself. But their sins and atrocities are not forgotten. See in verse 13. But the earth will be desolate because of it, its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. See, God calls the nations to task for their deeds. And this is the irony of salvation. Because salvation and victory for God's people is also destruction for God's enemies. There can be no other way. The people that continually oppose God are going to be destroyed, raised by this expanding wall of God's kingdom. But there's hope here as well. Because in the same way that Judah received mercy, in the same way that God was there with them in the darkness and brought them out, God is going to extend that same mercy to the Assyrians and the Egyptians who If they are in their darkness and they call out to him and they rely on God's mercy, they too can be brought in to God's kingdom. But for those who brazenly oppose him, they're going to get smashed by this wall spreading across the land like a monolithic freight train because nothing stops the wall. And then we get verses 15 through 17. 
As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. See, when God brought his people out of Egypt with wondrous signs. The Egyptians, they were scared. They offered up all of their things. They're submitting to God and God's people because they're scared. They're ashamed. And the same thing, but on steroids, happens here. These nations, all the nations that have opposed God, they come crawling out at God's victory because God wins and all the other nations tremble. And God's people dwell in Jerusalem. They receive the benefits of being on the winning side. Because they win too. When God wins, his people win. And sin loses. Isn't that a comforting thought? I get so sick of living here on this earth, in this country. I get tired of people killing people or the hot takes on people, killing people. I get tired of seeing divisions, of strife, of see Satan at work in the world. I get tired of seeing good people that love each other falling apart. I see pain and misery in this sinful world, and I just, it makes me want to go home. It makes me want to be with God, and it makes me long for God to come down and just make everything right. I want him to stop the violence, the anger, and the war, and the corruption, and I want God's will to just be done here by everyone, and I want that now. But as I wait, I find comfort in knowing that God is working, and he has a plan, and that one day the wicked will be destroyed. And the people of God are going to live in heaven where there is no tear. And even that assurance keeps us strong here because we understand that it's coming, that God will be victorious because he's already won. And I find comfort knowing that God, in his steadfast love for his creation, he's not going to let wicked people ruin his good world. God in his faithfulness, is also faithfully just. And the powers of darkness cannot prevail because God wins. And aren't you glad that we serve a God that takes us out of darkness and he leads us to victory? But the story doesn't stop there. He leads us to safety. He leads us to Basham. And so in verse 14, we're told, Shepherd your flock with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. That Bashan and Gilead are some of the most fertile places in Israel. And they're in this forest away from the wolves, away from danger, where God is watching over them. And so when he leads us out of darkness and into victory and now into this safe place, he gives us 
somewhere where we're safe and provided for, where none of our enemies are going to attack us. You know, Isaiah has a similar image in Isaiah 41, uh, and I'll put it up on the board. But it says, basically, that after God wipes out his enemies, no one wants to mess with God and God's people. Isaiah 41, starting in verse 11, it says, Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you will be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who says to you, fear not. I am the one that helps you. And so, when we see God stepping in, when we see God's decisive victory, and when the nations of the world see that, no one wants to mess with God and God's people because they know what he's capable of. And God's not going to let anyone mess with his people because God is our protector. And so we see as an aftermath of God's victory, there is peace and security for his people. When God is our shepherd, we are safe. And when God is our shepherd, we get what's best for us. When God is our shepherd, no one can harm us. Nothing can separate us from his promises. And when God is holding on to you, nothing can decisively harm you. See, Satan can assail you with all his power. He can throw every temptation in his book at you. But if God is your shepherd and you've got your eye fixed on God and God has you within his fold, within the confines of his safe walls, nothing can stop God's will. Nothing Satan can do can touch you because God is keeping you safe. And we have hope. We have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. Yeah, you can kill my body. You can put me in jail, burn down my house, steal my car. But I have an eternal inheritance that nothing can take away. My treasure is in heaven, and that makes me untouchable. Because our assurance of future glory gives us safety now in some sense, because we can endure all the difficulties and the pain of this life because it doesn't matter, because we've got something more secure that we're waiting on. We have heaven waiting for us where we are going to be in God's fold, shepherded fully by him. And even now as we wait, it pays to serve Jesus. You know, Peter says, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Or Paul says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. Or Daniel is told by an angel that he's greatly loved and that his prayers are being heard. Where would we go except to God? Because God has all the good stuff. You find peace. You find comfort. You find security and true knowledge in God and nowhere else. And so if we have all those things, what else could we possibly need. You see, I'm waiting on Bashan in a very real sense because I want to be at home in heaven with God. But in the same sense, I'm dwelling with God now because he's here. He's providing for us. He's keeping us safe. And we're going, we were waiting on a fuller picture of that. But there's still so much that God is doing for us here as he's comforting 
and guiding us. As he's there with us in the darknesses of our lives. And guess what? We know how the story ends. We know the author of the story. We know his paths of goodness and we know he cares for us. So here in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I hope that this study today has encouraged you. I know that really diving into this passage has been a great encouragement to me this week as I've reflected on the darkness that God brings us out of and this great victory that he has won over sin and over the powers of darkness and the peace and security that come with knowing God, with being in his fold, and the peace and security that we have to look forward to in heaven. And I'm thankful for the hope, this blessed assurance that comes with knowing Jesus. And I am anticipating this future homeland that God has in store for us. Jesus is calling. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to dwell in Bashan too. And he wants to lead you from darkness to victory. He wants to be your king. Won't you heed and obey that call? If you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, now is a great time to do that. Or if you're struggling, if you need the prayers of the congregation for any and anything, please come forward as we stand and sing.